Thank you for listening to this Calvary Aurora Bible study with Pastor Ed Taylor. We pray as you study through God's Word that you're blessed by God's abounding grace. Amen. Take your Bibles, open them to two places. Luke's Gospel chapter 11 is where we'll start, and then we'll end up in 1 Kings chapter 11. Luke chapter 11 and 1 Kings chapter 11. As we've been studying the life of Solomon, we've learned how God grew him in wealth and wisdom. His reputation spread around the world, catching the heart and the attention of the queen of Sheba. And she made a visit to Solomon, and the end result of her visit was she was blown away by the wisdom of Solomon and how it was displayed, reflecting truly the wisdom of God. Now don't think for a moment that Solomon was a perfect guy or when we say he was walking in the wisdom of God that he made all the right decisions. As we'll see in a moment, he doesn't, just like all of us. However, God was there in the kingdom, evident through Solomon, through a broken vessel, which should encourage us because all of us are in a similar position, broken before the Lord. None of us are perfect, and yet God used him. Now, the Queen of Sheba, we learned last time as well that there were a couple myths going on with the Queen of Sheba and how, you know, how certain lineages may have come from a, a relationship between her and Solomon. But the visit was real and accurate. Now, you may come across people that will deny all sorts of things in the Bible. Well, you know, uh, Queen of Sheba never visited Solomon. Solomon wasn't real. Or that whole story about Jonah in the great fish. I'm sure you've heard someone has brought this up to you. You don't believe that, do you? That myth and that fairy tale. And if you're not careful, you might take on an argument that's really not yours to take on. You don't need to be arguing. I believe in Jonah and let me prove it to you. And I believe in Queen of Sheba, let me prove it to you. Because when somebody says they don't believe in things like the Queen of Sheba or like this true story of Jonah, their argument isn't with you and it's actually not even with the word of God. Their argument is with Jesus himself. Let me show you what I mean. The visit of Queen of Sheba was so significant It wasn't just a visit to see the wealth and wisdom of Solomon. And it wasn't just a visit to have another political alliance. And it wasn't just a visit, as we learned, so many great insights on how to serve the Lord with excellence and and how to make sure that, that we are doing the best that we can with what we have in order not to stumble another brother, another sister, or another unbeliever that they wouldn't receive the gospel when they come to a facility or they come to an event. We want to do the best that we can with what we have. But there's more to that. It's even more significant as Jesus uses, well, notice with me, verse 29 of Luke chapter 11. While the crowds were thickly gathered together, he began to say, this is an evil generation and it seeks a sign and no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah the prophet. Jesus doesn't call Jonah the prophet a myth or a fictional story. He says this generation wants to see a sign and no sign is going to be given except the one that Jonah the prophet, the true prophet of God, he says. As Jonah, verse 30, was, became a sign to the Ninevites, so also the Son of Man will be to this generation. What was the sign? Three days, three nights in the belly of the fish. What's the sign? Jonah thought he could run away from God's will and God swallowed him with a fish. By the way, the fish was 
the symbol of the God of the Ninevites. So God used something that they viewed as a God to swallow Jonah for his purposes, and the whole city gets saved. Jonah was supposed to go this way, and he went that way, and God got him that way, and the whole city got saved. Not just that. As we just, uh, a few weeks ago, celebrated the resurrection, that's the very sign to be looking for with the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He says, you guys know Jonah? Yeah, I know Jonah. Well, that's the sign I'm giving you. I mean, these guys studied Jonah. They knew it backwards and forwards. That's the sign, the sign to look for. I'm, I'm in your midst, but not that. Notice verse 31. The queen of the south, which is also a phrase for the queen of Sheba, will rise up in judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Indeed, a greater than Solomon is here. Where do we learn that the queen of the south visited Solomon? 1 Kings chapter 10. Jesus knew the scriptures. You know the scriptures. This was a real visit by a real queen to a real king that God established, David's son, Solomon. And as we're studying through, we're encouraged that God is validating his truths. You might even feel ill-equipped at times and tongue-tied when you're trying to talk to people about the things of God. But listen, the Lord is with you. And even if you're feeling tongue-tied and just don't know what to say, remember Jesus told the disciples, when you're brought before those rulers, don't even worry about what you're going to say because I'm going to give you the words that you need right when you need them. And you can trust the work of the Spirit in your life. Now come back with me to 1 Kings chapter 11 uh, as we finish off at least the king's view of Solomon's life. As we turn now to this chapter, we find Solomon not walking in wisdom uh, as his heart is turned away from the Lord, which baffles us, I think. Because I'm sure if I was to survey the room today, no one's really planning among us how to walk away from God. Nobody's really thinking, you know, in a couple months I'm done. I'm going to stick with this for two months and then two months and a day, I'm going to turn my back on God. I'm going to deny everything I ever heard about him. I'm not read the Bible anymore. I'm not, I'm, we don't even have the wisdom of Solomon. Although we have the power of the Holy Spirit in us, we weren't given the kind of wisdom that Solomon was given. And I don't think Solomon was planning his, his fall away from God. And if I was to survey the room and say, how many of you think you're going to fall away from God in the next year? Very few hands would would rise, and the ones that did rise, you probably have a more tendency to condemn yourself. And so you're kind of a fearful person that you're just beating yourself up of something that didn't happen yet, and that's just kind of your personality. But you're not planning it, and you don't want it. Can I get an amen? Am I hitting a chord? You don't want to. I don't want to fall away. But let's not be naive enough to think that we wouldn't. Let's not be naive enough to think that given the right circumstances and the right timing and the right temptation, there isn't one of us in the room today that wouldn't turn our backs on Jesus. It's possible. We're human. I don't think Solomon was planning on having a chapter 11, but for unfortunately, and as I prayed for some, everyone, there, there are people that have chapter 11s in their life. Steps away from God. So notice verse 1. But King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites, the Ammonites, the Edomites, the Sidonians, the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, you shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you, for they surely will turn away your hearts after their gods. 
Solomon clung to these in love. And he had 700 wives. That's not wise. (laughs) And 300 concubines. And what happens? His wives turned away his heart. And I have it jotted a note down, just as God said. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Just as God said. God's word is true. And you will find the promises of God just as God said. I was doing devotions in Joshua in the last couple weeks and and I was just so encouraged that not a word failed of God's promises. Not a word failed. And it goes for the positive and for the negative. And his wives turned his heart away just as God said. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as his heart was of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Amorites, or excuse me, Ammonites, Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh and the abomination of Moab on the hill that's east of Jerusalem and for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And for he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods." It all started with Pharaoh's daughter. That's where it started. Solomon marrying Pharaoh's daughter. And going back to Egypt, purchasing horses, chariots, marrying Pharaoh's daughters were the first steps of Solomon's unbelief. Here's a man with great wisdom walking in unbelief. There were political considerations as we've learned. There were political considerations in these marriages would create treaties between Israel and the nations nearby, but in making these decisions in the spiritual realm, so you could look at it and go, you know, everybody in the world's doing it. I, there's a saying that people use today, when you're in Rome, do as the Romans do. That, that's a purely physical way of looking at life. You, you might even find in your own life making compromises because of the environment that you're in. We think peer pressure is just relegated to the teens, but peer pressure is in adults. We don't call it peer pressure for adults. For adults, we call it the fear of man. It's the same thing. Kids, it's peer pressure, where they're pressing down and they want to impress those that are around them. So you find the kids doing things that their friends are doing because they're not strong enough to stand up. And these steps of unbelief in the in the physical realm, that's what you see. In the spiritual realm, their hearts are turning away from the Lord. And Solomon, by making these treaties with these women in the physical realm, he's going to fulfill the political considerations, although God never told him to do that. And even as he's going to have different women in his life, he's going to fulfill the the sexual lusts of his life. God never told him to fulfill that way. What Solomon's really doing in the spiritual realm is he's expressing his lack of believing God at his word, that God would protect the nation. And he didn't believe that his heart would be turned away by these women with foreign gods. He didn't believe it. God said, your heart's going to be turned away. And he just didn't believe it. Took his chances. Something that we learn from Solomon, both as a fact and as a warning, is that we can have the wisdom of God and not follow it. That that we can have, we, we can be very wise and act very stupidly. Let me repeat that in case you're taking notes. We can be very wise. That means we know what we need to know and act very stupidly. As one pastor friend of mine 
likes to say, sin will make you stupid. And that's a testimony we can all share in various degrees. We know, what we, we, we know what we're supposed to do and we know what we should do, but we refuse to do it foolishly. When it says that Solomon loved many foreign women, 700 wives, 300 concubines, it's telling us that Solomon acted foolishly and disobediently, just exactly as God would said would happen, happened. That's one way, when you come in for biblical discipleship, you know, you call up and you have a problem and you want answers from God's word and so you meet with a pastor, you meet one of the wise ladies here and, and you might come in and, and we're talking to you about things and you might say, you know, I, I'm, you're working through one of the most difficult things a marriage could ever go through, a, a sexual immorality. And you come in and you go, no, you know, I, I had an affair. 99% of the time, I'm thinking the pastor or the person talking to you is going to correct you and give you the biblical terminology for that. You sin by committing adultery. That's the sin. Because if you don't call it what God calls it, then you don't agree with God. And if you don't agree with God, then you're not going to take God's remedy. You know, for an affair, you go, well, you just stop it and move on. But for adultery, you repent with godly sorrow. And you begin to rebuild what the enemy has tried to destroy in your life. And we need to be careful to let the Bible say what it says and not to redefine things. And if God says something, and I encourage you, before you go to bed tonight, just read Deuteronomy chapter 7. Let it just sink in of God's warning years and years earlier. And not only did he receive his warning, but he received his wisdom and he still acted very foolishly. You can't go, you can't go against God's word and expect to get away with it. You can't go against God's word and expect that good results are going to come. Now, some of you might be going, you know, I understand, Pastor. I've been getting away with it for years. Well, you really haven't been getting away with anything because you just admitted to me you think you're getting away with it, but you're not really not getting away with it. So you're really not. So, in, you know, well, let's start there. But number two, the Bible says that God, everything is open before the eyes of God. Like we are, we're all clothed in sweatshirts, you know, and we're here. But God, he sees us in our purity. And he uses the word nakedness, if you can imagine. It would be very uncomfortable uh, if we saw what God saw. Because no facades, nothing hidden before God. That should both encourage us and shake us a little bit. Nothing hidden before God. There's nothing hidden in this room before God. There's nothing hidden in your car as you listen to the radio. Nothing hidden in your front room. Nothing hidden as you have it, uh, the, the live stream up on your TV. There's nothing hidden before God. Nothing hidden. You're getting away with nothing. And you can't expect to go against God's word and expect a good result. Neither can I. By the way, the greatest discontentment among men and women, specifically in marriages, but also among some singles, is the idea that I'm not in love anymore and someone else will make me happier and much more fulfilled. That's a lie from the devil himself. Because you made a covenant with your wife or your husband. You made a commitment. And if you have that attitude, well, you know, I'll just leave her and I'll just leave him and try someone else, that you'll be so much better, you're lying to yourself. That's not what the Bible says. It's not what God's design is for your life and mine. God's perfect design is for us to follow him at his word. And when our feelings don't match what they were maybe years ago, then we fall back on our commitments and our covenants. Now, I realize that some of you are in the midst of great pain because of a indiscretion, a sinful indiscretion by your spouse. And 
I'm sorry. It's not God's heart for you to be so broken. And I know some of you have a divorce perhaps in your past and you might take something like this as condemnation and it's not condemnation. Sometimes sin happens in our lives. Sometimes it's our fault. Sometimes it's the other person's fault. Sometimes it's a combination. But there's forgiveness at the cross of Jesus Christ. Now, forgiveness isn't like to go out and go, well, I think pastor just gave me permission to sin. You're not listening to me. I want to comfort the brokenhearted tonight and warn anyone that might be planning sin. You can't expect, you can't expect to go against God's word and think the result's gonna be good. And, and if you're still wavering and I'm still not convincing you, call me or email me. And I'll put you together with a couple, with their permission, of course. And they can tell you how painful it's been. And they can tell you what they're dealing with with their kids. And they can tell you the financial disaster. And they can tell you of the sexual disease. You just tell me what you want to hear and we've ministered to people that have been in any of those categories. There's restoration. There is hope for reconciliation. So please, don't allow your feelings to cause you to go against the will of God. Solomon went from woman to woman, concubine to concubine, looking for fulfillment, for happiness and satisfaction, but only found frustration, pain, consequence, sorrow, and ultimately his heart was turned away from God. Read the book of Ecclesiastes and you'll really get the sense of Solomon's feelings at the end of his life. Ecclesiastes, it means vanity, emptiness. And reading Ecclesiastes, you're going to question sometimes, is a man of God writing this? Is Solomon really writing this? As he reveals and surveys his life and he finds out at the end, the only thing that matters is pleasing God. That's the end result of life. Let me give you another thing to consider as we move through this chapter. Prosperity and success tends to turn a person's heart away from the Lord. I've seen it happen over and over again. When times are tough, people desperately call upon God. They're crying out to him. Prayer meetings are filling up. The year that I got saved, I walked into a room just like this, about two and a half, three times larger than this. It was packed, standing room only in that room. Why? Because it was the beginning of the Gulf War. And our country hadn't been in war for years. And people were afraid and concerned. And the church was filled with people, including myself. My brother-in-law was just deployed, along with a lot of other things going on in our lives that helped get me through the doors of a church, which was big enough just to get through the doors. But it was packed on a Wednesday night. 3,500 people coming to worship God. Why? Because it was difficult. It was hard. The world was in turmoil. And when people desperately call upon the Lord, this is what happens. They seek the Lord. God answers their prayer. He blesses them. He loves those that turn toward him. He encourages. He strengthens. Because of his love, he pours out blessings. And then tragically, when a person is blessed and things are going well, they lose sight or tend to lose sight of God. Material things take a primary position in their life, beginning to crowd out the things of the Lord. Commitment is gone, devotions fade, and soon their hearts are turned after ever their things. And as desperately as we would want trials to leave our, our lives, trials are keeping us close to the Lord. They're keeping us desperate. They're keeping us pressing in. Israel 
under Solomon is the most prosperous it ever was. The most material possessions they ever had. And it was during this time, along that time of Solomon's reign, that Solomon disobeyed and paid the price. Verse 9. Then the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. That's just, we, we kind of read over that and I was going to in a minute because I got a lot of verses to cover but we just read over that. Yeah, Solomon had the Lord appear to him twice. Like God literally appeared to Solomon twice. The first time was when he gave him the, the choices and the options where he chose wisdom and the last time we learned just a few, twice. He had two supernatural burning bush type of appearances from God. It's almost like the writer wants us to understand that Solomon was a blessed man. I wonder how many of us, if we were writing our stories, say, yeah, the Lord appeared to me twice, let alone once. Wow. The root of the issue is right here in verse 9. His heart turned from the Lord. His heart turned from the Lord. While David was a man after God's own heart, Solomon is a man who turned his heart away from the Lord. He didn't follow in his father's footsteps. God never appeared to David like he appeared to Solomon. And Solomon got it twice. But here's the thing. Even if the Lord were to appear to you personally, it would not be enough for you to grow in grace. Say, well, man, you're talking about appearances. I'd love the Lord to appear to me once and twice. I would do it. That would just make me, that would just go, that would just, that would just. And not even two appearances of God in your bedroom would give you what you're looking for to grow in God's grace. Because it's not the supernatural. It's not the manifestations. This, this is what's going to give you what you're looking for. Are you ready? It's a secret. It's a mystery. But I'm going to reveal to you right now. A long, steady obedience in the same direction is going to give you what you're looking for. Reading, studying, and receiving, and doing the word of God is going to get you. You go, no, 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 just two appearances would be fine. But two appearances, even more than his dad got, Solomon was still caught up with the things of this world. It's the word of God that will build your faith and sustain your life. That's why as a church, as a family of, uh, as a fellowship family here, we are unashamedly committed to teaching you the Bible, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book. I know I'm not going as fast as some people would, would like, but I don't have an artificial time schedule to go fast or go slow. We're just going to take it as the Lord leads. And I think I've shared with you, I'm almost done with the New Testament. As soon as we're done with John, we'll go into Hebrews. And after three years studying Hebrews, we'll be done with the New Testament. <laughs> and then some of those earlier studies we did in the school, I need to destroy and do over of the early days. And just like, whoa, man, what, whoa. But God is gracious because it's not the vessel it's his word. So you can go and you just provide, you just present yourself to the Lord and be used by him. And you don't have to have some polished message. And you know, I don't want you leaving here. Oh, great message. I want you leaving here. Oh, great God. And you're like, wait a minute. I want great message. No, no, no. I want you leaving this thinking about, man, what it would be like if the Lord appeared to me twice. But you know what? I can read my Bible tonight. 
I can love God in his grace and his love and his mercy. I don't want you depending upon me. I, I, don't want, I don't want that responsibility. It's not my responsibility for you to grow. It's your responsibility. It's your responsibility to love the Lord God with all your heart, soul, and mind and love your neighbor as yourself. And I want to help you along the way. I want to serve you. I, I want to be available to use my gifts and callings of God and be obedient to him so that we can, bear the, the, we can enjoy the fruit of the obedience of our church. But I don't want you to depend on me. And if you are depending on me, you're disobeying God. Because sometimes there'll be such a desperation in your life that you'll call the church before you call the Lord. And in your mind, you're thinking, you know, if I could just talk to Pastor Ed, if I could just talk to Pastor Ed, if I could just talk to Pastor Ed, all my life would be solved. And I'm telling you right now, that ain't gonna happen. Most of the time, the problems that are presented to me, I have no idea how to solve them. But I could pray. And I can encourage you. And I can share testimony with you. And I can open the Bible to you. But I'm not your Savior. Jesus is your Savior. And any of the men here, any of the women here, none of us are your saviors. None of us are the ones, like we're just your servants. And so hopefully we'll just be known as men and women that serve you well. And, and I, ha- I have to say, most of the things that the men and women that serve here, they do, they do behind the scenes that none of us ever see. They're serving unto the Lord. And, and I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful to be surrounded with so many loving men and women that just serve. And we all, we all just serve together and God mixes our gifts together and and out comes a cherry pie. You know, but making that pie crust is, there's some nasty ingredients in that pie crust. You know, it's just humanity. It's, the word of God will build you up. Psalm 119 verse 50, this is my comfort and my affliction. Your word has given me life. Romans chapter 10 verse 17, faith comes by hearing and what? Hearing by the word of God. Memorize that. I know many of you already know it, but memorize. Faith comes by hearing. And so you're faithless tonight and you're in unbelief. How do you build your faith? By hearing the word of God. That's why I love at times to read the Bible out loud to myself. Or as Marie likes to, she likes to use the app. And I was having a hard time sleeping last night. And so I just put on the app in the book of Luke and I just put it into my ear and one of my earbuds and I just let that app read to me the Bible until I fell asleep. Just like I need the word of God even to go to sleep at night so the Lord might comfort me by his word. The other scripture I have written down is Luke chapter 11, verse 28. Um, But he said, Jesus speaking, more than that, blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. So hearing the word of God builds faith, but more blessed is the person that hears it and keeps it. And looking back at Solomon's dad, David, he loved God's word. David heard the word of the Lord, kept the word of the Lord, and loved God supremely. His love for God turned his heart toward God. That's why we know what we love by what our hearts are. That's why Jesus said, lay up to yourselves what? Treasures in heaven. Because where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. And we know where our heart is turned toward the Lord as it is dedicated to him. Loving him and loving his word. When you look back on the first three kings... You know, Solomon's compromise wasn't just one thing. It didn't happen overnight. We're reading a chapter 11, really his life in just 10 chapters, uh, Solomon's life in 11 chapters, but we're reading chapter 11 like right tonight in about a half hour Bible study, 40 minute Bible study, but it didn't happen in 40 minutes. 
This is a summary of his kingdom. He didn't, it, you know, can you, it didn't, he, he couldn't marry 700 women like in a day or find 300. I mean, this is a, thou, this is, this is a lifetime of compromise, a lifetime. Even if he married, I did the math, even if he married or accumulated two women every single day, it would take almost a year and a half just to do that, two women a day. So over time, his, his heart wandered. If you're taking notes, let me give you a few things that you can see, and you can study this for yourself, but some things that you can see in his life. Number one, he disobeyed God's command. That's where it started. Number two, he permitted his wives to worship their own gods. Thirdly, he tolerated their idolatry. Fourthly, he accepted their idolatry by building shrines. And then fifth, he participated in their false worship. So it started with disobedience, then permission, then tolerance, then acceptance, then finally participation. And his heart was far from the Lord. Solomon was a man with a divided and a disobedient heart. One author put it this way. When you look back at King Saul, he had no heart for the Lord. When you look at David, he had a whole heart for the Lord. And then when you look at Solomon, he had a half heart. Half-hearted. We have these little cards down in the bookstore to teach your kids the books of the Bible, and that's where I learned that. So you, they, they draw you a little picture, and if you look at the picture, you not only know the book of the Bible, but you can tell the big theme of the Bible. And for Saul, they have a guy with a dark heart. For David, they have a guy with a big heart. And for Solomon, you have a guy with a half-heart, and you can learn it very quickly. You, you know where they, what, what book of the Bible it is and what their hearts are, and that's what we're learning with Solomon. It says in verse 10, he had commanded him concerning this thing, he shouldn't go after other gods. Verse 11, therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, because you've done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father, David, but I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom, but I will give it one tribe to your son, for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Verse 14. Now the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. He was a descendant of the king of Edom. For it happened when David was in Edom, verse 15, that Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain after he had killed every male in Edom. Because for six months, Joab remained there with all of Israel until he had cut down every male in Edom. And Hadad had fled a way to go to Egypt. He had certain Edomites and his father's servants with him. Hadad was still a little child. Now, if you're just coming in on this Bible study, it's the first Bible study you have in Kings, understand that on our Bible study series, we have gone through 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, and now we're in 1 Kings. So we've already learned about who Joab is. And Joab now is the commander of the army had gone up to bury the slain after this particular battle. So there's a symmetry and a theme to the Bible. You might be walking in a Bible study like this and who are these guys and what's going on? We've laid that foundation all the way going back to 1 Samuel. And there's quite a few Bible studies, but you can always check, uh, catch up on us because they're, they're on the website and they're on our app. So you can just download them or watch them right there. Then verse 18, they arose from Midian and came to Paran and took men with them from Paran and came to Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house, a portion food for him and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh, so that he gave him as his wife the sister of his own wife, that is, the sister of Queen Tapanes. 
Then the sister of Tapanese bore him Ganupath, his son, who Tapanese weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Ganupath was in Pharaoh's household among the sons of Pharaoh. Now when Hadad heard in Egypt that David rested with his fathers and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, let me depart that I may go to my own country. And Pharaoh said to him, but what have you lacked with me that suddenly you seek to go up to your own country? And he answered, nothing, but, let, but do let me go anyway. So what Solomon had hoped to achieve, this is why this little section's here, what Solomon had hoped to achieve by marrying many foreign wives that he would have peace with his neighboring countries didn't even work. It didn't happen. And who's the first person to turn on him? The first person where he took, or first country where he took a wife. God has said over and over again, don't mess around with Egypt. The Jews every year, even to this day, celebrate the Passover, the great deliverance of the nation of Israel from the bondage of Egypt. It's a memory. It's a glorious thing to look back on the victories of God. We have our own victories of God, don't we? We have, we have the victories from, uh, you know, the victory of deliverance from Egypt is our victory, but we all have uh, a victory of Egypt and a deliverance because Egypt represents the flesh and the world and how God has delivered us from some stuff that would be just amazing to think. Without the power of God, we would never be delivered. And what Solomon, you know, here's the thing with sin. You think you've got it all figured out and it's not going to work. It will not end the way you think it's going to win. It just, just warning you from the scriptures and warning me. It's not going to end. You say, oh, no, no, it's going to be different for me. It's not. What a man soweth, that he also reapeth. No farmer sows corn and expects apples to come up. He wouldn't be a farmer. And in the spirit, we should expect the same thing. You can't ever expect to sow sin and think some righteous thing's gonna come up out of it. It's not. So he's got all these enemies now. Verse 23, God raised up another adversary against him, Rezon, the son of Elidah, who fled from his lord, Hadadezer, the king of Zobah. He gathered men to him to became captain over a band of raiders when David killed those of Zobah. And they went to Damascus and dwelt there and reigned in Damascus. He was an adversary of Israel. All the days of Solomon, besides the trouble that Hadad caused, and he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. So, so I, I just think when, when, you, when you see that word adversary, remember that the devil, the devil is also known as our adversary. And let me just say, whenever you're in compromise, the adversary always shows up and multiplies. And David, or Solomon learned that throughout his years, what he thought would happen, all he got was adversaries. Verse 26. Then Solomon's servant, Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the Ephronite from Zeredah, whose mother's name was Zeruah, a widow, who rebelled against, he also rebelled against the king. And this is what caused him to rebel against the king. Solomon had built the Milo and repaired the damages of the city of David, his father. The man, Jeroboam, was a mighty man of valor. And Solomon, seeing that the young man was industrious, made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. Now it happened at the time when Jeroboam went out, to Jerus out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah, the Shilonite, met him on the way. And he had clothed himself in a new garment and the two alone in the field. And Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into 12 pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, take for yourself 
10 pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon and will give 10 tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David, sake of Jerusalem, the city which I've chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and worship Ashtoreth, the goddess of Sidonians, Chemus, the god of Moabites, Milcom, the god of the people of the Ammon, not walked in my ways to do what was right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments as did his father David. Let me pause there for a second. Why did the nation of Israel worship false gods? Two reasons. And I don't want one to neglect the other. Number one, they chose to worship false gods. They chose. They're fully responsible for that choice. Number two, they chose to worship false gods because Solomon was a bad leader. Now, they could have chosen to choose to do the right thing, even though Solomon was a bad leader, but they didn't. And those of you that are in spiritual leadership or in a place of leadership in this church or whatever church you're in, you have a very important role. Why, why, do, you, why do people talk the way they talk around you? Because that's how you talk. Why do people do the things they do around you? Because that's what you do. Those of you that have a position of authority that God has given to you through the ministry of this, of this church in particular, just for us, those of you that aren't here and will be watching this later, your role as a leader is important and significant and you can either lead people in the righteousness of God or the unrighteousness of compromise. And you could always say, but yeah, they made their own decisions. And I could always say, and yes, you led them there. And it's true for parents. It's true for leaders. Look, none of us are going to be perfect leaders and you're going to see mistakes in us all. And even the worst of the worst leaders that would make horrible decisions. We need to be praying for them. We need, to, we need to be praying that the Lord would restore them or convict them or whatever it is that they're needed, but we're not to follow their ways. Even Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. But don't take for granted the position of leadership that God has entrusted to you. Sure, you might have been in my office and gone through an interview with me. Or we might have come to you and say, you know, we see God's gifting in you. And you think that maybe that position of leadership is tied somehow to this church. It's not. The position of leadership is given to you by God himself. And you answer to him. Yes, there's leadership in the church and there's going to be a place where there's authority of leadership and stuff and, and I have a responsibility in your life. But you are serving God, not me. Or your pastor, if you're in another church, you serve God. You answer to him. And they're committing all this idolatry because Solomon failed. And, and we just need to pray that we don't fail and lead people astray. It'll hurt them. Some people are mad at God today for something that happened 30 years ago. And somebody they trusted. And somebody took advantage of them. I know my dad himself was hurt and didn't walk into a church for, I don't know, 20 plus years because a pastor severely hurt him in dealing with the grief in his life. And it was just something that couldn't be resolved in his heart until later, until God saved his own son and began to minister the gospel to him. I mean, you just can't write stuff like that. You can't make that up. Like the Lord just loves people so much that he'll do whatever it takes to get them into a relationship and bring him into it. It's so awesome. So Jeroboam's raised up and we'll learn a lot about him uh, as, we, as we read on. 
But it says in 35, I'll take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you, 10 tribes. And to his son, I'll give one tribe. My servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city I've chosen for myself to put my name there. I'll take you. You'll reign over all your heart desires and you shall be king over Israel. It shall be, verse 38, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight. Keep my statutes, my commandments, as my servant David did, then you'll be, uh, I'll be with you and build for you an enduring house as I built for David. And I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. That's a graceful statement, not forever. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, the king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Jeroboam was a problem for Solomon, a gifted, hardworking man, but no connection to God. And he has this encounter with Ahijah, and Solomon goes after him, but God's will always prevails. Verse 41. Now the rest of the acts of Solomon, all that he did, the wisdom and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the acts of Solomon? And that period of Solomon reigned in Jerusalem uh, over all Israel was 40 years. Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David. His father, Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. So Solomon dies and he reigns as long as his dad David did. And like King Saul, Solomon was offered many opportunities but didn't take advantage of them in the Lord. He was a wise, smart, intelligent, but lacked his heart connection with God. Church family, it's so important that we learn how to listen to the word and obey the word. Stay so close, abiding in him. The times in which we live require us to press in. They require us to, they're getting harder. And the temptations are just right up in your face. Cramming into your house. Popping up on your phone walking down the streets of, the, uh, of our city. The, the government is into legalized dope dealing. That's our world. They're making money on our kids going to hell. Our government. And then we're thinking the government's going to save everything? Only Jesus Christ, the King of Kings, will right what's wrong in our world today. And it's His church that's going to press in. It's not a time of retreat. It's a time to press in. It's a time to step out. It's a time to check, check our hearts before him, just to bear our hearts before him and, and to pray that prayer, Lord, search me and know me and try me. Reveal to me if there's any unclean thing and then point me in the right way. Point me in the direction you want me to go. Why? For the sake of our city for the sake of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for, for the sake of unknown salvations that haven't even taken place yet, but that we might be able to get, be a part of. What the seeds were planted in Brazil or the prayers that we were praying for that team or what's gonna happen in Galveston because we prayed. Because we prayed and God answered our prayer and we're pressing into the things. What's gonna happen when you stick it out in your marriage and you start praying for your spouse and don't just throw them away, but pray for them. Pray that they return to the person they used to be. Pray that they come home. Pray that they come to their senses. Well, what's going to happen when you start praying with your kids and laying hands on them and they're laying in their little beds at night thinking of what, what the world might, they have no idea what's going on in the world, but you do and you're praying for their protection and their growth. You're praying that God will use them, that this world will not mean anything to them, but only in how it will be used to bring people to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. That our treasures will be in heaven and not on earth. And it's important for us not to turn after the false gods of silver or gold, tin or steel. You know, we don't think we're idolatrous. We're more idolatrous than we admit. Worshiping money and celebrity. 
worshiping narcissism? Is there never a time in all of the history of mankind where narcissism is running rampant among us? It is, and maybe even among us. Us, not us, the world, but us. Because of comfort and ease. Because of where we are in life right now. Because, you know, the longer you're in a church family, the longer you're here, some of you guys have been here a long time, you get real comfortable, you know, you're not so excited about the things of God anymore. And then you might even hear me share a joke, you go, oh, I heard him share that joke five years ago. And then you just kind of turn off like, you know, you're, you just kind of get comfortable. And now you're not hungry for the word of God anymore. And, and now, now it, maybe it is, you know, I, I just need, it, it's, anyway, I'm not gonna, this, just, just stay hungry, all right? Just stay hungry. That's it. That's all that matters. Stay hungry. And if it means you got to go to another church to, go, to, to get crazy and, and, and radical for the things of God, God bless you. Do it. The kingdom matters. So do what you got to do. But get serious with God. Get serious. Put your idols down. Throw the drugs away. Pour out all the alcohol. Stop with this sense of worshiping and idolizing anyone and anything but God himself who, rep- who came to earth to die for your sins and mine, who demonstrated his love for you on the cross. And if it means you've got to make radical changes in your life, maybe it has nothing to do with the church, but I know the longer you're in a church, the more settled and comfortable you get. And it just ain't going to work, man. You're just going to get so comfortable and so subtle and the Lord is just going to pass you by and use somebody else. And then how do churches become the church of Laodicea? How does that happen? We don't press in. We say we don't think we need anything. We're idolatrous. And we worship money. We worship our kids. We worship celebrity. We worship status, prestige, relationships. We put things before God. If we would just diligently serve the Lord and seek him all the days of our lives, it might be well with us. That's what God says. That we might see the goodness of God as God pours out upon us his love and his blessings as we follow after him. What important lessons in this chapter for us to learn that God would help us to learn not just to say, yeah, that's right, amen, but that every clapping of your hand would represent an active obedience in your life. It's like, if man, if the Lord's speaking to you, then let's go do it. Let's go take our city with the gospel. Let's look for opportunities. Let's share with our neighbor. Let, let's look for, look for open doors. Let's, let's do it. Let's do the gospel. Let's do it together. Let's put the emphasis on who God is and not who we are. And let's put the emphasis on what God is wanting to do and not what we want to do. And let's make sure when we figure out and we see what God wants to do, it's, life becomes very easy because we just get involved in what God's already doing. We don't have to make anything happen. God's on the, on the move and God wants to reach this city and he wants to use you. So God, we just thank you for this warning in Solomon's life uh, and I pray that I handled it correctly and that, that it was used in a way that would stir us as a church. I, some of these messages, I wish it was for the, I wish the whole church was here. I wish we were here for all three services that they would hear this, this stir. But for us, this is it. This is who you had for us. And those that aren't here, I pray they pick it up later and, uh, you know, put down a favorite TV show maybe or a favorite song or a time on, and just listen to a Bible study, man, and be built up. I pray for Grace FM, Lord. I pray for Frank, that you'd establish him in his calling to run that station. 
I so appreciate the hard hours and work he puts in, Lord, and, and I pray for all the technology. I'm so grateful for the privilege of us as a church to have the gospel going out in this city 24 hours a day, seven days a week, all up and down Colorado, serving 80% of this state, Lord. Who would have ever thought that? Who would have ever thought that you would give us such a privilege? But we want to be faithful to it, Lord. We want to be faithful to keep it on the air and make sure all the technology works. And you know, God, we're just a church. We're not radio professional people, corporations. And so thank you for all the people you put in our lives to help us. Thank you for sending us the right people at the right time. Thank you for giving us the resources and the money that it takes. That's how this world works. It's money. And we've got to have, buy this. We've got to have money. We've got to, and, but thank you, God, because you, you own the cattle on a thousand hills. And I just, I just sense that there's someone here really worried about their money in their own life right now, in their own house. And I, I pray, God, you would just minister to them that you've provided in the past and you're going to provide this time. You have provided in the past. That's a word of the Lord for someone. You've provided in the past and you will provide this time. So, Lord, Lord build their faith and, God, let us keep radically going into places, taking the gospel with us and let us not be an idolatrous church idolizing a movement or idolizing a man or idolizing a pastor. Um, Man, Lord, let us not settle for anything other than your glory. Show us your glory, Lord. Fall upon us in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been touched by this study from Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call area code 303-628-7200. Be blessed this week in the Lord.